Welcome to More Like This, a podcast from Netflix Q, the journal that celebrates the people, ideas, and process of creating great entertainment. I'm Krista Smith. I've spent over 20 years interviewing some of the biggest names in Hollywood. And on this show, I'm bringing you fresh new perspectives from across the entertainment industry with the kind of access only Netflix can offer. But I won't be doing it alone. I get to collaborate with some of the best writers, interviewers, and experts in the business. My co-host this week is an absolute legend, one of the most consistent, talented, and revered actors in the business, whether it's on stage or television or film. The man is brilliant, and he is at the pinnacle of his career as Paul in Spike Lee's The Five Bloods. Please welcome Delroy Lindo. It's great to see you, Delroy. Thank you. What have you been reading or listening yes. or watching anything in particular in, in all this like downtime when you're not working? Wow. I, I wish I had known you were going to ask that question because I would have brought the pile of books that I've been reading with me so that I could remember their titles. Currently, I'm reading a, a, a book called Cast by Isabel Wilkerson, which is a roiling, it's roiling me personally. I read a book called In Search of the Racial Frontier by a man named Quintard Taylor. I read that book, and that book chronicles the history of African-descended people in the American West, going back, starting in the 1600s, all the way through to the late 1970s. I read that book in support of the film that I just finished. The film is called The Heart of a Fall, mm. and it is the narrative focuses on, it's a tale of the Old West told from the points of view of the Black people who were there. African-Americans were part of the Old West, and that is a story that has not been told, generally speaking. I played a man named Deputy U.S. Marshal Bass Reeves, a man I had never heard of before I worked on the film. An extremely uh, significant and important person in the Old West, and in fact, it is said that, that the Lone Ranger is based on Bass Reeves. Do you watch any television? I've been watching. I'm a soccer fan. As a young kid, I played soccer. So I watch a lot of soccer on TV while I'm working out. Who's your team? My team is Manchester United. Oh, I'm Liverpool. So then I'm a little disappointed talk. in that. We, we can't. can't talk, we got we to stop this interview right now because we're supposed to be arch enemies. But anyhow, I want to go back really quickly. And I, I need to mention... The, one of the books that I read, um, In Search of the Racial Frontier, Quintard Taylor's book was particularly significant to me, for me, because it chronicles how enterprising Black people in the Old West were. And it also chronicled the relationship between African Americans and Native Americans. And the forces that conspired against the ingenuity, the entrepreneurial spirit, 
of African-Americans caused a certain amount of destruction, which we as African-Americans, African-descended people, are still struggling with, negotiating with today. When you think about things like um, the Black Wall Street, which I'm sure you're aware of, which was burned to the ground by the white community. The Black Wall Street was a manifestation of the entrepreneurial spirit and the ingenuity and the brilliance and the genius of African-descended people to form their own communities and their own businesses, their own lives. And that's part of what Quintard Taylor is chronicling in In Search of the Racial Frontier. I appreciate that. Coming from Colorado and... Ah. I'm looking forward to seeing The Harder They Fall. I mean, it also stars Regina King and Idris Elba. It's a fantastic cast. And that's on its way to Netflix. Another book that you mentioned, Cast, Mm -hmm. by Isabella Wilkerson, is being developed by Ava DuVernay for Netflix. So I'm super excited for, for both of them. But let's talk about The Five Bloods. For me, I grew up in a military family. Vietnam War was omnipresent. What I what I think is so important about this film is that for the first time we see the humanity of black soldiers in Vietnam, which I don't think I've ever seen on screen. Certainly in certain movies, yes, there are black soldiers, but never a, a film where the story revolves around them and it revolves around their experience and their purview of what that experience was to be a black soldier in Vietnam. And as a white woman watching that, I was so struck by Spike's the way he interwove what was happening in the real world and the use of music as in a whole other character in the film and the Hanoi Hannah and the mixing of the past and the present was just Brilliant. It was incredible. And and your character in particular, the complex nature of Paul was so interesting to me. And I, I mean, I hate to say this right now, especially, but it I kind of understood why someone could be motivated and moved to be part of the MAGA moment by the disenfranchisement of what happened as a result of that war and a result of those soldiers coming back to the United States and being treated as such. So that is a lot of me talking, which I didn't intend to do. But I think it's very pertinent that you talked as much as you did. Please finish. (laughs) Well, I was so struck by your performance, particularly in the humanity that you brought to that character. I think it's one of the greatest Spike Lee characters. And I should note that I am not the only one that responded as such. You've you've gotten, you know, a lot of, of outside recognition as well from National Board Review, New York Critics, you know, the, the Critics Circle and whatnot. You've, you've already accumulated a a significant amount of awards for this performance. So talk to me a little bit about just your approach when you first got that script and your way in as an actor and also your way in after, you know, two decades of 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 getting back with Spike. I'd be really interested to hear your perspective. Sure. 
before I um, respond to your question, the first thing you mentioned was the humanity. And that is like, for me, like manna from heaven, because it is, it is exactly what I feel one of the strengths of this film is. And that is, it presents these men in their humanity. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Secondly, and I did not think you were talking too much because <laughs> you as an audience, you were pulling from various bits, areas of yourself and the various responses that it elicited, which is exactly, exactly what one wants as an actor contributing to a piece of work. That's exactly what one wants to ignite and fire off all of these responses to the point where, oh God, I feel like I'm talking too much. No, you're not. Because listening to you, I'm thinking this is exactly what I would desire from an audience member. And I don't want to come across as obsequious right now, but listening to you as an audience member touch on the various places inside of you that the film connected with it's affirming and it's affirming and it's affirming and it's affirming and it's affirming some more now to the last part of your question and paul you said that you could understand why paul becomes that maga hat wearing person what more could i as an actor ask for than to be understood by an audience member, even if we vehemently disagree with the choice that that particular human being has made, you as an audience member understand it. So without being big headed about this, I've done my job. I've served the narrative in the way that um, my director, writer wants and needs me to serve the narrative. And, you know, I've done various interviews with Spike in service of this film over the last year, eight months, nine months. And I've come to understand, and I didn't know this about Spike, this cat has an ex what I call an encyclopedic brain, meaning his ability to reference and recall and connect with history and culture in the particular way that he does and he then feeds that into his work. And here's the other piece, R going back to Zeitgeist. Of course, none of us could have predicted George Floyd. None of us could have predicted Ahmaud Arbery, uh, Breonna Taylor. None of us could have predicted that. But it also speaks to something about Spike's intent as a storyteller that causes him in some instances, not all the time necessarily, but in some instances, to be a step ahead of the culture, to be a step ahead of the zeitgeist. So now, a year later, the film comes out and the film lands squarely in the middle of the zeitgeist, not only in America, but globally. And that speaks to the particular way that he makes work, 
how he puts work together and feeds it back to audiences. I just talked for a long time. I hope that made sense. <laughs> it, it does make sense. And it, it to me, it's what delineates a Spike Lee film from all other films. It's what makes him an auteur. Delroy, we're going to come back later to talk more about your experience on Five Bloods, but this feels like a perfect segue into the next segment of the podcast. Spike Lee in conversation with another acclaimed filmmaker, Barry Jenkins. We are blessed to have not only Spike Lee, but also Academy Award-winning director of Moonlight, Barry Jenkins, to interview him. The two discussed all things to five bloods from ideation to inception, musical influences and beyond. Here's their conversation brought to you by the American Cinematheque. What's up, my brother? Not much, man. Let me, let me just be you. Let me give you a round of applause, man. I watched Thanks. the film this week, man. It's so, uh, it's so beautiful and heavy at the same time. And also, um, just, uh, it's amazing, because I, I remember when you left to make this film, and yet it arrives at this moment um, that I think is perfectly in sync with what's going on um, out in the streets. You know, My brother, you know how we do. <laughs> yes, yes, sir. Yes, sir. You know how we do. <laughs> I, I, I wanted to start off on a, on a different foot. You know, I remember uh, when you won, you know, we were both at the Oscars, when you won for Black Klansmen, deservedly. And I remember seeing you at the, par- at the party that night, and uh, it was, which, it was which party? Uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to be dropping names, but but the party, and uh, and it was you, you and Regina, y'all both had y'all Oscars, y'all were dancing, and you were like, shit, man, I gotta get her to play tomorrow, you know, because you were going to make uh, this film. I think you were flying directly to Ho Chi Minh City. No, we, uh, I was going to Bangkok. You're going to Bangkok, exactly. But you, you, but you were definitely going to work on that morning. Story. The morning, so I didn't, I didn't yeah. even go to bed. Yeah, I already exactly. packed my bags before. Exactly. Well, 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 and it's funny watching the film because, again, the subject matter uh, is so heavy. And yet, you know, I think I've always known you as someone who loves cinema. And it seemed to me like you had a really good time making this film, despite it being so heavy. And I swear, I, I mean, I might be making shit up, but the same energy you had that night, you had the Oscar in one hand, you had the, you know, the artist formerly known as Symbol in one hand. And I feel all that same energy in the film. So just tell me about, you know, what I want to know how the project got off the ground, how you came into it, but but just the feeling of making it, man, because it seems like there's a lot uh, of you and and your your reckoning with uh, with the uh, with the idea of America and what some of these uh, some of these men went through, but also just the energy of the moment that you find yourself in right now. Well, I want to thank you for doing this. That's number one. My pleasure, man. So the story is this. Two writers, Danny Dacio and, uh, and uh, Paul DeMeo, they wrote this script on spec. Mm-hmm. It was picked up by Lloyd Levin, and he gave it to Oliver Stone. Mm-hmm. It was called The Last Tour, and four other the Vietnam vets were white, one was black. Oliver decided not to do it. Lloyd read an article in The Guardian where I was talking about the the treasure Sarah Marjorie. Mm -hmm. Called me up. I love the script, but I said, you know, I'm going to have to flip it. You know, this, if I'm going to do this, if you want me to do this, I have to tell us to the the viewpoint of Mm African-American 
in our vets. Brought in my guy, my co-writer, Kevin Wilmot. Mm-hmm. And we uh, put some hot sauce on it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Some slow clap. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, the key thing, though, is that Marvin Gaye. Yeah. And Marvin's older brother did three tours in Vietnam. Wow. He was a radio operator. Mm-hmm. So he's writing Marvin... He was, Marvin was reading first-hand accounts of what his brother was seeing. War is hell. When will it end? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Also, Marvin was seeing the, the bloods come back to, to Detroit, the Motown. They're all fucked up. Mm-hmm. Many on heroin. So I think those things really led him to the place to, to where the, the album is. And so... Right away, I knew we wanted the songs because that would be another character. Mm-hmm. I want to I want to talk about Kevin for a little bit, man. Yeah, because, because y'all y'all it's kind of back to back between. Yeah, this is our third. It was his project. I co-wrote it, uh, Chirac. Then we co-wrote Black Klansman, and uh, this is the third one. Mm-hmm. So we're both tenured professors of film. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's a tenured film professor at University of Kansas. Jayhawk. Okay. And I'm a tenured professor at NYU Graduate Film School. Mm-hmm. So we, we, we're, we're cinephiles and we love movies. But we also understand how there's been a lot of false narratives in films. Mm-hmm. And uh, given opportunity, you know, we try to uh, shed some light, some light on that darkness that's been out there for many, many years. If you remember the opening of uh, Black Klansman is from the one is from the one of the greatest shots ever in cinema with Scarlett Hera. Mm-hmm. And here's I want to jump at that. I, I mean, I think that film should be seen. Mm-hmm. I I show Birth of a Nation in my class. I have heard. But I also I also put it and gave it a historical social context when they screened that film for me at NYU. They left out the fact that at that time the Klan was dormant. Mm-hmm. And this film brought life back to the Klan, which directly ended up killing black folks. But that was not taught. Well, it, it kind of leads me into uh, Delroy's character in this film, uh, Paul, who famously, he wears the hat. He wears the MAGA hat. That He's a, he's a Trump supporter uh, in the film. Uh, what I love that you do, and it, it kind of feeds into this conversation we're having is, you create the context of how a man like that could become that person. And, yeah. and so I'm, I'm curious if at this point, as you're putting, because, you know, when I watch a Spike film, I'm always expecting a button to be pressed. I'm always expecting a button to be pressed. No matter who walks in, somebody's button is getting pressed. So the character Paul was not in the original piece, I imagine. So no, I, he, no, no, he did. Paul's in it, but he wasn't. A, the script was written before Agent Orange got in the White House. Wow, so it was Kevin and I that that, that, that did the whole thing because here's what we the reason why we did that is because their bond. I mean, when you when you're in a war in a battle, mm-hmm. that bond is like you can't break it. Mm-hmm. But when they came back to to the world from the country, everybody went their separate ways. So this is the first time they've all been together, mm-hmm. and so. My mother told me at a very young age that all black people are not one monolithic group. Mm-hmm. 
So, I mean, all, I mean, it's a buddy film, but still, you got to have some beef, some static, you know, just for, just for drama. We said, what's the, what's the wildest thing we can do? <laughs> <laughs> and this is a guy who's never got a break in his life. Mm-hmm. Never. His wife dies mm-hmm. giving childbirth, mm-hmm. which consequently he's hated, he's blamed his son and has tormented his son his whole life. When you're like that, it's, it's, it's everybody, some other people, the reason why I'm, I'm messed up. That's what we did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I want to go back to my first question. Did you have fun making this film? And just tell me a lot, a lot of fun, but it was hard. Yeah. There were days were rare when it wasn't a hundred degrees plus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're shooting in the jungle, Mississippi, Alabama, and Georgia mosquitoes ain't got nothing on Thailand. <laughs> <laughs> and jungles have snakes, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so we had a bona fide snake handler. Mm-hmm. whose job was to keep us from being bitten by venomous snakes. But we all knew that, but we, we were just, we knew we had to, we had to do, we were, they were professionals. Mm-hmm. No matter what, we had to do what we had to do. At this point, you can, I, I feel like you pick and choose. You only do the things that you truly want to do. Um, I want to tell a personal story first, but then I want, I want you to answer, like, why this film? Why a film about black? Mm-hmm. Vietnam vets, because I mean, you and I both know it takes a lot to make a film, man. I mean, to go to damn Bangkok and deal with 100 degrees and, and vipers and all that takes a, it takes a lot. You know, you got to go away from your family and, you know, you you you. I was gone three months. Exactly, exactly. So, so my uh, uh, my first experience with PTSD was I had an uncle who fought in Vietnam, uh, and he went and saw with a, with a cousin of mine. I think it was Return of the Jedi or something. And my cousin said about the second reel of the film, my uncle crawled out on the floor and was crouching down behind the seats, trying to dodge the lights, the, the, the light flashes. And my cousin had to like cradle him and walk him out of the theater. That was the first time I understood that there was something that had happened to these men that hadn't been dealt with, that hadn't been sort of addressed. And so, when I, when, I, when I first started seeing clips of Delroy's performance, I saw my uncle. I saw my uncle. And then before even, even seeing the film, I started to think, I think this is why Spike went and made this film. But I wanted to ask you, why did you decide to go make this film, bro? Well, is, is your uncle still alive with us? No, he's passed, man. He's passed. He's passed. Uh, God bless. God bless. I'm on, I'm on Instagram. And so many people have told me a story, have written me mm-hmm. on their comments. Stuff that's very similar to what you just said, that their father, their uncle, their cousin, their brother, they saw Paul. Mm-hmm. And it made them help. And it, it didn't make it go away, but it made them understand a little bit better mm-hmm. of what they were going through. I, I was born in nine, March 20th, 1957, the first day of spring. 
the Vietnam War was the first war that was televised into American homes, mm. living rooms. So I was 10 years old. So I saw a lot of the footage that is in the film. I saw the first time it was on, on television. Mm. And I grew up with my, my late brother and I in New York, Brooklyn. We would just always watch Saturdays. Besides, after watch after finished watching cartoons, we watched World War II films. And we loved them. And my father would say, he said, okay, you like those films, but I'm telling you, black people fought in World War II. Mm-hmm. And his, my father was not in World War II because he had flat feet. Mm. But his two brothers were in World War. They, they, they were patent. They were in an outfit that, 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 that drove the trucks to keep Patton's arm on. Yeah, 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 yeah. The, with the, the, the stake, the vipers, the snake eyes, they call them, because they, they, they uh, take the headlights and flip them. Yeah. Yeah, because they had to, they had to drive at night without lights. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so I was taught early on about Christmas addicts by my parents. Yeah. The first person to die for the United States of America, the Revolutionary War, Boston Massacre. Mm. That's a fact. The first person to die for this country was a black man. Yeah. And, 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 brother, and our brothers and sisters have been fighting for this country from the get. I, didn't, I never heard of Milton Olive until I started doing research. Yeah. Brother was 18 years old. That, that, that was a new one for me, bro. Threw himself on a grenade, won the Medal of Honor, first African-American to get the Medal of Honor in Vietnam, 18 years old. And for me, that was the best thing I ever did as far as foreshadowing. Mm -hmm. Because Isaiah's, they're talking about, you know, this other stuff, and and Isaiah says, do not expect me. But, but, but I was like, I knew it was coming. Don't expect me. I, I knew it was coming. No one's asked you to jump on a grenade. <laughs> but, 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 then, but, but, but I think it taking his journey together, you just know, bro. You just know if that thing hit the ground, he going to do it. Talk to you about working with Delroy after, you know, y'all have done so many films together. It's been a bit since y'all worked together. He's, yes. I mean, he just, I mean, Lulu will tell you, at a certain point, I, I, I grabbed my Oscar in the next room, and I just put it in front of the TV. <laughs> I just put it in front of him. <laughs> He's so damn good in the movie, man. He's so damn good in the movie. Uh, did you have him in mind when you and Kevin were re- restructuring the yeah, character? We had, in, until the other day, until uh, uh, my brother told me, it's been 25 years since we worked together. Mm. The first time was Malcolm X, West Indian Archie. Mm-hmm. And he played my real-life father. Mm, that's right. Bill yeah. Lee in Crooklyn. And then he was a drug kingpin, gangster, and clockers. Hmm. He's one of the great, great, great actors. And a lot of people might like be like, well, where do you? he's been Delroy has been putting in work. Mm-hmm. W-E-R-K. Mm-hmm. Work. And, and and as you know, my brother, you be putting in work, but sometimes you need that role. Yeah. You need that that platform, that showcase. I mean, you need like even a scene, because <laughs> mm-hmm. mm-hmm. everybody talks about that scene. You know, he's going to the jungle, chopping down shit left and right with his machete, looking straight into the camera. 
And I'm, I'm happy for him because uh, he's worked a, a, a long time mm. and he's finally getting his shine, mm. getting his light. And it's been long overdue, I think. Yeah, agreed, agreed. I think he, he was also in Clockers. He's amazing in Clockers. Yeah, he played a drug campaign. Amazing in Clockers. Amazing in Clockers. You know, <laughs> again, that was a, that was a, that was a different time, a different world because you put that performance up against anything that year. And I mean, just the, when, when he grabbed Homeboy by the he grabbed in the, the car, the ribs. Yeah, man. I mean, the it, yeah, exactly. It's it's funny because in this film, he's he's a very broken man, still very strong but very broken. Uh, and Clockers, you know, kind of similar but but way different, man. Way different. Ah, uh, this is another level. But what else do I want to talk about? Talk about talk to me about Terrence Blanchard, man. The uh, the 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 aria in this piece it, it did remind me a bit of uh, what y'all did in Twenty Fifth Hour, which I mean, so so much of your work is about America, you know, mm. but it's about redefining what America is, the feeling of it. Talk to me about how you and Terrence approached the score for this one. Well, Terrence has been a lot of people notice Terrence was working on was playing my father's scores first. Wow. Great jazz trumpeter. Great, great composer for film. And we have a shorthand, you know. We don't have to talk a lot. Yeah. He gets the script as soon as everybody gets the script. Mm -hmm. While we're editing, he gets scenes cut together. Once they have a cut, he flies up from New Orleans. Mm -hmm. We screen the film. Then we go for lunch, and then, then we sit down at the Avid, and I tell him, Know where I think I want to have cues, mm -hmm. where the cues start and where, where it will end. And also, when I want to describe what it is, I use, I, I, we talk in colors. Mm. Every instrument is a different color. And, and, and the thing that I love, I love to give characters themes mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. with great melodies. Mm -hmm. And Terrence got great melodies up the yin yang. Exactly. But the, the the Paul melody in this one, man, it just um it just gets inside you, man. It, it makes you this character that maybe in other hands you would grow to hate, you know, as he gets farther and farther away from himself. Especially wearing that hat. Yeah, exactly. 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 As he gets farther and farther away from himself, you grow to the point that when the hat shows up, no spoiler, when the hat shows up at the end, you like you kind of want to just it feels like you, it's, a, it's like a lament, you know what I mean? Instead of going, oh, that fucking hat. I go, oh, shit, it's the hat. You know what I mean? So kudos to y'all. So, so, so let me ask, man, where, is it, where else is it for Spike Lee to go, man? I mean, I never, I, I'm going to ask you a question. Yes, sir. I've never done a musical before. Uh, shit, uh, other than good or bad hair? Yeah, it's true. That's I mean, true. I've had musical sequences in my film. Exactly. But I've not done a straight out dancing and singing musical. So, I think, Who knows? I think we should rectify that, bro. We, you know what? This is the longest we've ever talked. It is, man. It is. It is. It's, it's always you going this way, I'm going that way. It's this always can't, love. This, this can't be once we get to the other side, yes, AC, after, not after Christ, but after Corona. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We got to chop it up, baby. All right, cool, cool, cool. All right. Appreciate you, Spike.
always amazing to hear two artists at the top of their games. You know, what I thought was so interesting is that the two of them have never talked this long before. They've only kind of seen each other in passing. It just was so great to be a fly on the wall for this conversation. Okay, Delroy, let's dig a little deeper into your experience working on this film. As an actor, what was one of the most physically challenging things for you during the filmmaking of The Five Bloods? Because it seemed real hot, jungle. Like, it's a very physical... I mean, aside from just the elements of of heat and bugs and all that, I'm sure, of, it's a very physical performance. So interesting. I'm, I'm, what I thought about was a very specific instance when I fall down the hill and the, and the gold gets stuck in the tree. I told Spike that I wanted to, I wanted to do the, um, the stunt myself. And in, in preparing to do that particular stunt, I was doing some exercise. I was doing cartwheels and I was rolling on the ground <laughs> and I messed up my shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> That was physically challenging. <laughs> <laughs> so you you already messed up your shoulder before you even before you yeah, said action. I, just I didn't, in do the stunt. <laughs> I didn't do the stunt. Uh, Spike said, "No, man, you don't want to do this." I said, "No, man, let me let me let me. I want to try. I want to try, man." More broadly, when we were in Thailand and we had to traverse up and down some of those hills, and we we were doing multiple takes, there were a couple of times in the film where the physical endurance, the challenge kind of caught up with me, not to the point where I couldn't do the work, but to the point where I needed to preserve my energy as much as I could so that when the cameras did start rolling, I had the energy so that I could do what I needed to do in front of the camera. The last couple of weeks of filming, we were actually in Vietnam. And I remember the night that we wrapped, we had a little get together and I was aware of how fatigued I was. Not exhausted, but I was mentally, physically, psychologically fatigued. Hmm. Let's talk about your cast too, because that's one of the things for me, Spike Lee as well, always assembles such an interesting cast. Yeah. And this one is is no exception, obviously. Chadwick yeah. is is a central character in, in the narration of this film. Yeah. It's Norm Lewis, Clark Peters, Jonathan Majors, who plays your son. And, and, and Isaiah Whitlock Jr. And Right, Isaiah. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. What made the interpersonal dynamics between us all the more special for me was, and I think for all of us, it was completely organic. Again, frankly, that's part of Spike's genius. Bringing us together for a couple of couple weeks prior to filming, we did a boot camp with some military advisors. We he had a couple of young men come from New York and they taught us the DAP. You know what DAP is? The various intricate handshakes that a lot of the brothers in, in, in Nam uh, used. In addition to that, we had a couple of Vietnam vets come and speak with us 
all as a company, the core company, including Jonathan as my son, all of those things nurtured and helped give birth to this, this organic way of being that we all developed. And of course, we were aided by the words on the page, the, the, the fact that we had this script. It was one of the most special aspects of working with these particular actors that we just came together in the way that we did. And this organic bond, these bonds were created, which we then were able to exhibit in front of the camera. I'm sure you know that doesn't come along every day. Hmm. One can work with really skilled actors, but to have a real organic connection inside of the work that nobody has to talk about is very special. And I would say that to greater or lesser degrees, that, is, that has been present in all of the work that I've done with Spike. There is a connection that is that comes into existence as a result of the actors that Spike Lee brings together in service of the work. That was absolutely evident on Malcolm X. Everybody knew on Malcolm X, we had to bring our A game. Everybody knew on Malcolm X, bring it, <laughs> bring it. Completely unspoken, bring it. Because of the respect that we had for, for Malcolm, because of the respect we had for the, the script itself. And we knew how important a piece of work, how important the film this was going to be. But jumping ahead to, to Bloods, I feel similarly a really, really, really important piece of work because we were presenting these men in their humanity that you, that you spoke about, because the Vietnam story has never been told from the standpoint of brothers, of, black, of, of the black soldiers who were there, who made up, what, African-Americans, 12% um, of the, um, the population and upwards of 30% of the fighting force in Vietnam, kids, young kids. My cousin was 18 years old when he was drafted into Vietnam. And inside the first week and a half, he's in country fighting. 18. I have a son who's 19 years old. Now, I cannot imagine sending him off to war. So uh, in service of all those young men whose stories have not been told, this film was critically important critically important that we that we that we get it right we had a birthday party back in the summer for my son and one of my son's friends came to me and said mr lindo when i saw the film i have an uncle and we all thought he was crazy and nobody wanted to be around him but when i saw the film i said oh that's my uncle i understand my uncle now you can't you can't buy that kind of affirmation that's priceless Krista, that's why I went to acting school. Hmm. What did you learn about yourself as an actor in this part in particular? On some level, it was almost as if everything that I have done up to this point in my career perhaps was preparing me for Paul. So if I learned anything... It's that with all of the missteps that I have made in my career, with all of my neuroses, my fear, 
like just plain craziness. Um, with all of that, you did good, kid. You did good, man. With all of that, you still did good. And I have effed up. <laughs> oh, my God knows I've effed up. And I've made missteps. But you know what? Evidently, I was equal to this moment when I was presented with this moment. I was equal to it. I was ready. It's so moving to hear you speak in that in that way. And also what's so unique to me about your career and just you admitting that you've had mistakes and oh you've, you've got and you've gotten in your own way, despite the fact that you've worked for 30 years and despite the fact that you are never the same in any movie. Uh, and that's very unique for uh, not all actors have that. And I'm curious at this point in your career in Hollywood, sitting in the seat that you sit in, do you feel like there is a genuine movement to see more stories told, more diversity, more, you know, different stories told about different people. And not just, obviously, Spike has done that, you know, tremendously in his career. But in general, you're talking about making a movie about black cowboys and and all of a sudden, do you feel like there is more representation coming? Do you feel like there's a genuine uh, movement to make this happen? Only time will tell. And I'm not being coy in saying that. I'm not trying to be coy. Only time will tell. And I say that because for a variety of reasons, but I remember the year that Denzel Washington won Best Actor and Halle Berry won Best Actress, and that moment was being lauded as perhaps the beginning of something. But somebody said, well, no, not necessarily all this means, but this year Denzel Washington and Halle Berry won Best Actor and Best Actress. That's what it means. So here we are upwards of 20 years later, and you're asking me the same question. The thing about the film that I just did about, about the black cowboys, that's also a black filmmaker who's intensely, passionately dedicated to telling that story. So if there are more filmmakers, filmmakers of color, female filmmakers, each of whom are passionately insanely dedicated to telling stories that represent either their portion of humanity or looking at humanity through the prism of their experiences, people of color, women, in all of their humanity, if that happens, then perhaps we will then have stories that are more, we will have a more diverse palette. But Hmm. sitting here now, you asking me that question, I can only say that I hope so, but only time will tell. Delroy, now it's time for you to give some advice. What would you tell young people starting out in the business today? Whatever you need to do to be ready, do it. Don't get caught napping. Because a lot of people are going to say no to you. There are going to see there are going to be more people who say no to you 
in your career than say yes. So critically important that you, in the face of all these other entities and people saying no to you, it's critically important that A, you say yes to yourself, and B, you construct your life, your work, however you form your work ethic, whatever ethos you develop for yourself, do all of the things that are, that, that are humanly possible for you to do so that when and if you get that one shot, you're ready. Delroy, thank you so much for your time. I've enjoyed every second of this. And you are such a great listener. I don't think I've ever talked to an actor that is a better listener than yourself. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. And congratulations on on the film, all the success that you're having with it. And I can't wait always to see what's next for you. But I really appreciate the time. God bless. Thank you very much. Defy Bloods is streaming now on Netflix. For more, head over to NetflixQ.com. That's NetflixQUEUE.com. And follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and share. Listen in next time for more like this.